to the Making Laps Podcast. They're through with me. They done with you. How dare they? Crack ass bitch. How, <laughs> I don't even know them. Whatever. Anyway, welcome to the Making Laps podcast. I am your host, Brent Gleason. With me in studio is my brother, Jesse Gleason, and my son, Raji, who is sitting here playing Angry Birds something on the phone. Angry Birds Rio. Angry Birds Rio. Thank you for the clarification. So we are available on Hi, every boy. major podcast. <laughs> we are available on every major podcast platform. And uh, I'll give you our details later. But first, I want to start the show off uh, in remembrance of a few people who passed away this last week uh, who were very instrumental to not only local racing, but even one of them uh, a little bit more nationally known in the short track scene. Earlier this week, we lost Richard Mouse Morill. I don't know if I pronounced his last name properly. I'm sorry if I did. I just knew him as Mouse. He was a longtime member of the track crew at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park up here in Connecticut, and uh, he passed away at 66 years old. Um, I'm not familiar with what, doesn't really matter, but I, I remember going to Thompson for a long time, and he was a part of the track crew. He was very dedicated. Um, anytime we had a caution, I was talking to Jesse before we came on uh, and started recording, that anytime we had a caution and there was a cleanup, tower would always radio the truck to mouse and say how's it going mouse and he'd always give an estimate of time and we'd always knew him through that and those boys did a great job and they're very dedicated and his loss is a pretty big one in the in the local community so uh condolences out to his family and we also lost a champion late model racer uh one of our favorite racers growing up we used to go jesse and i used to go to waterford uh, frequently when we were growing up, 80s, 90s. And we would always, I know I would. What about you, Jess? You'd always root for 6X, CJ Fry, right? Yeah, he was one I'd always like to see win. Uh, usually in the late mile division, it was always uh, it was always like a Tommy Goudreau kind of deal. Yeah, but, Tommy or Phil Rondo or Jay Stewart yeah. or CJ Fry or just name name anybody yeah. from that era. They were awesome to watch. Anybody but Brower. <laughs> <laughs> no, we poor, love Johnny Brower. Poor Johnny. No. <laughs> I know, but no, we, it was fine. Yeah, yeah, we liked to pull back the curtain, but yeah, he's good. Yeah, we always liked to see him win. He was an underdog. Yeah, he was a uh, late model champion but at all did three. did very good. You know? Yeah, I believe he was a late model champion at all three racetracks at one time or another. He raced for Flash, uh, Gordon Rogers. Uh, those two were a real winning combination. And uh, again, that's... It sucks growing up because you see your heroes die, and that's just another one in the in a long line of people. But uh, a lot of good memories. Yes, yeah, yeah. People, we need to form a circle of protection around Brian McCarthy. <laughs> Indeed, I yeah, a lot of them. There's a lot of them, and more known on a uh, national level for short track racing, uh, Robert Hamke, who was the uh, creator of Hamke race cars. Uh, big in super late models and late model racing throughout uh, the eastern United States, I'd say even the Midwest. Um, 
he passed away this past week as well. I believe recently, and don't quote me on this because I didn't really look it up, but I believe that he had uh, sold the business to Kyle Busch and that they were still building late models, but they were called um, Rowdy Manufacturing, I think. I'm not too keen on that. I believe that's what it was. But uh, he had a lot, a lot of influence in the late model and super late model community across the country. And, uh, again, our condolences go out to all of these families. Um, again, they're all pretty big losses in their own right, for sure. So, I've been binge-watching all day, basically, in between whatever chores I've been doing, because today's my Sunday. But <laughs> I've been binge-watching the new show on Peacock streaming service. I'm sure everybody's been talking about it, but it's the Lost Speedways show that Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his media company, I believe it's called Dirty Mo Media, and Matthew Dillner, uh, they put together this show about basically traveling the country with their gigantic and extensive list of racetracks that used to exist and are basically closed down. Well, used to exist in the form of like, you know, well, that was a pretty dumb way to put it, but... <laughs> You know, they used to be, you know, good racetracks or thriving racetracks, and they've closed down for some reason or another, and they give the history of them, and they go and they visit them. And I don't know if, Jesse, I don't know if you've watched them yet or not, but... Haven't had a chance to watch them yet, no. So if anybody gets the chance to, uh, I don't believe you even have to pay for it. If you download the Peacock streaming app on your phone or whatever... Or sign up to it, I guess, if you don't want to put it on your phone or whatever, on your PC or computer or whatever. Um, you just sign in, basically, create a profile or whatever. You can watch for free, but they have ads, which isn't a big deal. It's just like you're watching regular TV. Um, but it's pretty fantastic. They have eight episodes, and they go around to a bunch of different races. I don't know if I want to really play a spoiler here or not. Or if I just want to give my overall. Well, what kind of what, what racetracks? Anything that we know as a part, you know, as I mean, the an first, audience. The what, first, what are they watching? They did eight episodes. One episode was basically Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s, like they kind of previewed his home. You know, he has the car graveyard, and he's got his own little go kart track that they closed down that they don't yeah. let people race on and stuff. But so that was basically a a Homer episode. So we got like seven racetracks that they visited. Uh, they visited like Metrolina and East Georgia Raceway and like all these tracks that are still there. I think the the most northern one that they went to was Hinchliffe Stadium in New Jersey, which is like 20 miles outside of uh, New York City. And if, like I said, you, you got to watch the show. I, I'm really hopeful that they're going to have another season. I really, I kind of think they're going to because of the turnout f from uh, race fans to watching it. Like I said, I don't want to give away a whole bunch of stuff, but again... Um, there's not really any spoilers to be had with this show, <laughs> to be fair. None of the racetracks made it. No, they're still, they're still gone, basically. They're they, still they dead. They exist in, you know, their current, well, Metrolina, actually, I think that's completely gone now. I think they completely bulldozed it right after the show was filmed. But, um. Quick cover the evidence. Yeah, I guess, but no. Um. I don't have any money. No deal. It's worth it's worth taking a watch, but my over it's really well produced. The history segments of it are, are amazingly thought out and well researched. Uh, Dillner does a great job presenting it. I think uh, Dale Jr. is kind of the host, but most of the show 
is basically Matthew Dillner going around and meeting with people and Dale Jr. tags along two or three times, you know. And um, anytime it goes outside of North Carolina, basically Dillner has Dale Jr. Or Dillner's by himself and Dale Jr. just does the ones in like North Carolina. <laughs> but uh, Question for the, for the author. Uh, yes. How much of it overlaps or if anything at all from YouTube slap shoes or NASCAR history? Because um, those are really good ones to watch as well. I I wouldn't really know based off of what I've seen from those guys. I know they do a lot of history stuff. I know Slap Shoes has definitely visited some places. Yeah, he's visited a lot of places, yeah. Um, but the production quality with, I mean, a YouTuber is going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot less than a giant, like, I wouldn't say giant, but a, a well-funded production company, you know, one that can have, like, really good oh, drones and yeah. slider cameras and really good equipment. One camera costs more than Slapshoe's whole production, yeah. Nope yeah, for <laughs> its entirety, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, even with travel expenses. But, no, it's um, it's a really good watch. I mean, they have special guests roll in. I think Gary Ballou is there, Richard Petty. Um, like, there's a lot of – I think Robert Presley was in one. Like, just some good old names, a lot of short track guys, just really interesting history lessons. And, you know, a lot of my feelings over it, I know a lot of people get to see these places and be like, wow, it's really cool that they're still there and we can see the history of it. And I'm like, I think I have a different perspective of it. I'm just kind of depressed by it. Because you see these places, and a few of these places were like Metrolina and stuff, they were, like, a lot of these places were just thriving. Like, there were packed seats every night. You know, the, the pit gate, the pits were full. I mean, everything you need to have a racetrack succeed, and they get shut down anyway. And a lot of the reasons for it are basically just human encroachment. Is that a, is that a good way of putting it? Like, development. And... A lot of like if you look at Riverhead, the only reason Riverhead still exists is because they have ownership that cares more about it being a racetrack than the money that they could get by selling it off. Because the money that they could get for selling this off is so much more than what the track is even worth as a racetrack. Because it's like. Look at Chicagoland Speedway. I mean, there's rumors that that's going to be gone forever, but the racetrack, the property is worth more as property than as a racetrack, so it almost makes economic sense to just get rid of it for the money, but, I mean, there's, there's no heart or well, anything to that, that. But That's happened to so many of them, it makes you vomit. Okay? You can name any anything. Name name a track, and it's and that'll happen to it. The only thing that's that's saving it, ironically, I think a lot of these tracks is the EPA, because look because, at the Speed Bowl, you can't because, do anything there. <laughs> yeah, because now now the ground is so uh, you know worn in basically to it being a racetrack. I'll put. I it wouldn't that call way. it contaminated. I would just say that it's it would re- it would require cleanup that any buyer wouldn't be willing to do. Does yeah, because yeah. it's not polluting the surrounding areas. It's not just polluted. They're just not willing to do any cleanup because it would require cleanup just not you know what they're willing to pay but again i'm watching this show and i'm i'm like i'm watching these thriving racetracks and i'm just seeing them as ghosts basically with trees growing out of them and like 
watching like Middle Georgia Raceway. I think that was the second episode. I'm watching it and I'm like, man, this place is awesome. Like you watch it and it's the racetrack is completely there. The grandstands are completely there. I think it's been shut down since like 84, I want to say. They had like Keith Reagan there and he was talking about it because David Reagan's dad. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the place looks like it would be an awesome racetrack. (laughs) Like I'm just sitting here like there's so much potential and it's just being wasted. And I think that's the overlying theme. And what I find most depressing is how quickly society almost changes uh, like economically against racing. And it sucks because you don't see anybody building new racetracks, but you see old ones going away. And, you know, we, we went through a rash of them going through Connecticut where they all shut down like Westboro and Danbury. And what did they become? They became, Oh, in Plainville. Yeah. Oh, wait, Westboro was uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yeah. But well, it's in the area. Um, or, yeah, and don't forget Connecticut Dragway. Yeah, Connecticut Dragway still exists, but I think that was just poor management. It became the Consumer Reports test track. It still exists, but... Um, anyway, like I said, we went through a rash of it, but what did all those tracks really become? Commercial property. They all became malls, right? Yeah. And now... It's been like 30, 40 years, right? And now look at malls. Now they're tanking. So what's what's it going to be for the racetracks? Nothing. Nobody's going to build new ones. It sucks. It really does. So like I said, I can't help but like watch this show with some kind of trepidation and, and angst and anger and sorrow, really, for just sitting there watching one of the few things that I actually give a damn about just constantly declined. So it's really kind of depressing. It's really well done and it's fascinating and it's it's fun to watch, but man is it a, you know, when you think deep into it, it's kind of a bummer. Would you yeah, would anybody like to watch a tree growing out of a rusted old 71 Plymouth Barracuda? No. No. No one wants to see graveyard after graveyard after that or, you know, pick your favorite brand, a 57 Chevy. Or a sixty-one, a sixty-four Lincoln Continental. Watch a rust and decay and go into the earth as nothingness. Like no one likes to see that. They had one episode where it was a dirt track. I forget which one it was. Now I even watched it today and I forgot already. But they had they walk out back and they look at the vehicles that are just sitting out back in the woods because they sometimes have like old race cars or track trucks or whatever. A lot of them have old race cars. Yeah. still still in the back. Yeah, yeah, uh, unmolested. Just yeah. frozen in time. One of them had, well, I'll get to that one in a second, but this one I'm talking about had an old pickup truck out back, which was of like 1950-51 Chevy five-window pickup truck, which is the same truck our dad had. Yeah. You know? And I'm sitting there looking at it, I'm like, man, that stinks, because it's like a foot sank into the dirt, and it's just all disgusting, and it's, it's so sad to watch. And one episode... They had an old midget track that was shut down since, like, I want to say, like, 1950-something or 60. And it still had an old midget car sitting there. Like, the whole thing, engine and all. I'm like, man, come on. But like I said, it's really it's really interesting to see the history of these places. But, man, is it such a bummer. Just a super bummer. But if you get a chance to watch it, everybody, go get Peacock and check it out. Like I said, it's free. You just got to watch a few ads. It's just like watching it on TV. It's not a big deal. All right. I think I'll, 
I should move on from this. You don't have nonsense. to plug it. We're not getting paid. I know, but it's worth it to watch. Thank you. Know? you. <laughs> I wish we were getting paid. Anyway, um, so anyone who listened last week will remember what I brought up if as concerns for the reopening of the Waterford Speed Bowl. If anybody hasn't listened, go back and listen to episode 30 of my uh, concerns, I'll say, about shit. the track reopening. And, you know, last week, after we put that podcast out, it was, what, a couple days went by, right? Yeah. Two or three days. And coming over the Facebook channels from the Speed Bowl, we got word that, hey, Every single one of our concerns was met except for one. And even that was met with a temporary measure, right? What? I said worst case. Oh. So, like, we brought up the idea of, okay, well, the midway is not paved. The control lights aren't working. You know, the this and that and the other thing. We brought up a bunch of numerous things. Just, so, so what does the track do? It just and so it's, happened uh, to go right down the list. It's Like I said, it just so happens that every single thing I brought up I must be clairvoyant, got attention after I brought it up. Like, the midway got paved, the walls got painted, they tested all the lights. Like, they're going through all the infrastructure, and they're like, yeah, we're good, we can host racing. I'm like, okay, great. And they have a staff? Apparently, they had a staff meeting, too. Okay, good. They aren't reporting anything from it. They basically just put out, okay, we got this guy, I think his name is Mike Marfeo, Who's going to be the new GM? Uh, I believe he's a, a Seekonk guy. He was a team owner and, and driver in the Legends cars. I think he had some involvement with the track. Don't quote me on that. Um, I don't know much about him. Hopefully, he knows how to run a racetrack. Uh, that's all that really matters here. So, um, but again, I'd like to get the tech squared away so that cars can plan for to get going for their uh, ambitious August 1st. Yeah, we're sitting on launch date. Pardon me, but I'm looking around Jesse's head at the calendar and I'm like trying to count the days to their supposed August 1st date. I honestly don't think that they're just going to throw racing on the table immediately. I bet you August 1st would probably be a, a, a practice day, but to work. that's not exactly like I'm not the one in charge, so it could just be a race. I don't know anything, but... Again, we gotta find. We gotta get a rule book going here. So if they are listening, you just put the rules out, man. We need these guys need rules. We gotta get something together. They can't prep a car in two weeks. I you mean, know, they could say, "Oh, well, they've been out since the beginning." Kudos for of, being more uh, transparent and whatnot, and bringing us along on the uh, build and everything. Those are steps in the right direction. Keep it up. And yes, I agree. Get better and keep doing it. Yeah, but like I said, two weeks to get these cars prepped. I really hope they don't change any rules because... I don't think they can afford to. Yeah, I mean... uh, The only thing I think a lot of people want to know is a tire roll, really. Basically, the only only rule book that was put out was at the beginning of 2019 season when they actually didn't run that year. And it was basically a mirror image of the Thompson Speedway rule book. And then this season, Thompson changed a few things. And now I'm like, okay, well, now what? You know, because the tech staff exodused out of Thompson. Thompson started doing their own thing and made their own decisions. And the tech staff didn't agree with it. And so they left. And I think that tech staff is now at Waterford. 
So if I was a betting man, I'd say just go look at the 2019 Thompson rule book before they made changes for this season, and that's probably what you're going to have. Quit playing with your dinghy. Now let's go. Yeah, let's get it going here. So, again, we must be clairvoyant. So let's see what happens now. Anyway, all right, so getting into more national news, I'm just kind of going through the week that went by. Wednesday night they had the All-Star Race at, uh, I was about to say Charlotte, but it wasn't. No, it, <laughs> it was, was at, at Bristol. the other Charlotte. Yeah, the other one. Yeah. It was at Bristol. Bristol Motor Speedway. They had some fans there. It was fun to watch. Um, what was your take on that? Well, I, I, even though some things didn't work out, like I think that they had hoped they would work out, I think it was the correct platform to try these things. Mm. Uh, number one would be the underglow. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Oh, the kids loved it. The but kids it, liked they, it. If they're going to do it again, they should do it under the whole car and let the teams pick the colors. That would be fun. Yeah. I understand what they were getting at under manufacturers. Yeah, it was and fun. doing it by manufacturers, uh, you know, bad, bad boy orange for the Chevy, Ford Oval Blue, and then red for that stupid meatball in Japan's flag for Toyota. Racist. The, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's the go-to nowadays. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, also, the meatball's Italian. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> So anyway, awesome. Yeah. So anyway, I it would have worked okay if if it was underneath the whole car. But then again, I don't know how the drivers felt. I know Kevin Harvick whined about something, but he kind of whines a little bit about everything. But what what else was there that was different about they had that the, race? They, they had, had the, the numbers the set. Ba- they had the numbers set back. They had which the is cone. cool. That's fine. I don't give a crap uh, about they, that. I thought it looked kind of dumb because it offset the balance of the the graphics. Because you have the number in the middle of the door all the time. Yeah, and you know how far from the front and rear it is. You can kind of judge where your the car is on the racetrack by looking at it. But with the number moved around, it kind of screws true. your vision up when you're a longtime fan. That's it's true. not a big deal. I didn't really care. I thought they looked cool either way, but. Yeah, I wouldn't do it long term. Yeah. I think one race is fine. Goof around for one race. I don't the Pinty's series, they're, they're Canadian cousins to the north. They have that number the same way. They have the number layout the same way, and I like it. I like the way those cars look over any stock car. Those are great looking cars. The Pinty's yeah, is cool. Those, are, those look awesome. Pinty's is underrated. Yeah, those are really, really cool cars. Those are is nice it still looking. called the Pinty series? Or it is, is it like... still the Pinty series, I think. All right. Yeah. It's so the, or the Jucasa series, Fate Yo or something. I don't know. Yeah, but it was it's one of those. It, they look really cool. So, so they had the uh, PJ one treatment that they've been playing around with. Honestly, I just think they. Oh, can, they had the pick line too. Excuse me. Yes, they had the PJ one though. I'll start with that yeah. on the bottom. Um, but they didn't have practice to rubber up the racetrack, so I'm like, well, okay, so you made it one lane, and it was probably going to be one lane anyway. But it, the only way the top lane works is if you can rubber it in, and you didn't have enough time or practice to rubber it in, so it was going to be one lane on the bottom. Anyway, I don't know. It, I think it's just a work in progress, and NASCAR is taking a lot of heat like I'm trying to give to them, but it's kind of unfair because 
like I said, they're they're doing this by the seat of their pants and trying to make racing interesting, but they don't have any way of testing it. And it's like, well, if you don't have any way of testing it, I don't know, man. It's kind of tough to do it, you know, because you could go either way. It could be bad. It could be good. Yeah, racing and, in its purest form. You're trying to alter the outcome of the race by putting artificial things into it. Yeah, just give them softer and, tires for this race and just don't touch the racetrack and just let them have at it, you know. If they're going to root somebody off the bottom, fine. If they're going to run the top, fine. You got two two fun outcomes for either one. If you run the bottom, guys are going to get bumped and rooted out of the way. Cool. All right. If you run the top, somebody's going to dive it down on the bottom and probably put somebody in the wall trying to slide job. Best way to have a two-groove racetrack is to eliminate <laughs> traction, not get more. Yeah. Because then it's all fair. I don't I don't like artificial surface stuff. I, I whatever. Just let them race, man. They'll figure out the best line. Uh I, we could go into that for hours. But anyway, Chase Elliott won that race. Uh, I thought it was pretty fun watching the open and then all the rest of the segments, but the last segment was pretty anticlimactic, but hey, that happens in racing. You know, sometimes things happen organically and sometimes they just kind of string out and that's what happened. I didn't, it didn't detract away from the race for me in any way. And Bubba got his nose out of joint, but um, boom, Yeah, but I think he's justified there. Um, he kind of rooted McDowell up, up the racetrack. People are trying to say, well, McDowell hit the wall and bounced off into him. He never hit the wall. You watch the replay 10 times. He never hit the wall. He turned him. So it's like he, he basically hooked him for moving him out of the way, and that's something that I don't condone at all. So that kind of irritates me. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just not cool. I don't like it. Yeah, I don't know Especially what precipitated with no history. before. I don't know. They, they, they didn't they, have a history no, before? No, they had no history. Oh, well, well, then, well, then fuck them. I don't know. Like I said, it doesn't it, – I'm not looking at who it was. I'm just looking at the circumstances. Again, I don't think they have a history. He just kind of bumped them. I think McDowell just got frustrated because he was losing speed real quick and got bumped out of the way by three other guys, and he just kind of had it and just let his emotions get the best of him. I don't think it was anything personal against Bubba or anything. I think he just kind of lost it. That was it. Just lost his cool. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. But, he, you know, some good came out of it. They took the front bumper, and they auctioned it off. Uh for motor racing outreach last time you heard it was over fifteen thousand dollars for a donation so that's pretty cool and they both agreed that it was a good thing to do so yeah it was cool um so after that we got word that uh, bowman gray stadium canceled their season for this year i know that they usually have a lot of scheduling issues when it comes to their short track program it stinks uh because they they have to run early and finish early because it's still basically a football stadium for college football. And I think they only run until like August or late August. And at, at the most anyway. So yeah, they, they didn't really have much of a choice. And I know that they're probably stuck in a lot of different rules and regulations yeah. and nonsense. Nobody's and, playing football. No one's right. Yeah. Okay. None of them. They're, they're not in any sort of danger of shutting the track down from what I've heard. They said, look, we're just going to throw our hands in the air and come back next year. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's not a terribly huge deal, but I mean, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens with football season now. (laughs) Whatever. That brings us to, what was it, Friday? Let's see. Yeah, Friday. We purchased, no, yeah, today's Monday. I'm talking about Friday. This is my recap. Uh, 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 don't give me attitude, sir. So, again, we purchased the pay-per-view on staffordspeedway.tv to watch the Stafford race because 
it was the 30 lap street stock event that's been held over for at least three weeks now. <laughs> they had two rainouts, I think, in a row, and they just keep rolling it back. I feel bad for them, but they finally got it in. And I got to say, I've been pretty, uh, pretty happy with the car counts lately. Especially, I'm, you know, I might have to start sticking my foot in my mouth about the limited late models if they can get 15 cars, and they're pretty close to it. Uh, they're at 12, the last I checked. Uh, I still will not remove myself from my opinion of that division, but... They're almost there. They're almost there. They're almost a full division. Not Well, not full in NASCAR terms, but full in, like, we can't get rid of them terms, I guess. Anyway, you, if you want to hear my opinion on that, go read back through a few episodes. You'll find it. So, with that in mind, uh, we, again, we were treated to a good show. I don't, I didn't see. Again, you know, I might as well bring this up. I wasn't going to, but I brought it up before, and I said, "Look, they have too many concies and too much time taken up during qualifying." If you're going to run a division that has a fraction over their 26 car limit, like the SK lights have like 27 cars or something, and the SKs might have 28, you know, something like that. I don't think we really need to run a Concy. Um, If you want to stick to your 26 car limit due to pace, uh, not pace, uh, pit road restrictions for the SKs, fine. But we don't need two Concys to get that figured out. Take more cars out of the heat races. If you need to run one Concy, run one Concy and take the requisite number of cars, one to three, however many you want to take, out of that Concy. Starting features at 8 o'clock is not a good idea. Yeah, please, those of us who live south of Safford have a terrible ride home. Yeah. Because we're stuck behind some drunk doing five miles per hour under the speed limit. And the speed limit's like 40 down Route 32 and 44. And 74. So it's... And 101. Hurry it up, all right? Yeah. Uh, and there's not a lot of passing zones, and there's a lot of deer, so it's, you got to be careful. But, man, again, I just... I know you guys don't have the big crowds because you're stuck at 25% capacity. Um, I know you guys got to sell concessions. I know that really helps a lot, but, God, I mean, when you're leaving there after 11.30... And you got, like us, an hour-plus ride home. Especially, like, I don't even want to think about the guys who live, like, west of the Connecticut River on the shoreline. They'll have, like, a two-hour ride home. That stinks. And, I mean, after racing all day and being out in the draining hot sun, come on, guys. Let's move the show along. That's one thing I loved about Thompson coming along and racing. We got the damn show in. We were done by 9, 9.30 some nights. You know, and the fans loved it. They got out of there, and they could hit the clubhouse. Yeah, that's I mean, one thing that Thompson ever did right. It was move it along. Yeah, I just want the show to move along. I mean, I don't want to be there all night. This isn't a nightclub. It's a racetrack. You know? It's a... Ah, whatever. Anyway. So, the ever-embattled limited late models in this household, at least. Uh, Andrew Duran picked up his second win in a row. I believe he tied a couple guys at 33 wins. Uh, for uh, in their career. I think he might be like Chuck Zentarski or something like that. Don't quote me, Stafford people. I'm just kind of pulling this off the top of my head. My memory's not great because I get hit in the head a lot and suck CO2 fumes. So 
Uh, so yeah, there was that. Uh, it got re- real weird at the end because it looked like he either lifted or the car died. I think he lifted. And second place, like I think it was Matt Clement, but I think he almost got back by him. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Go! <laughs> Never lift until you're past the line. I don't care if you're winning by a full lap. Yeah, jeez. Anyway, he won, but he got away with it. So that was weird. Uh, late model race was kind of surprising to me to see Tommy Fern out front and leading the thing. And then I think he, like, lost a tire or something? What happened? I don't remember, but he loops the... Oh. He looped the thing in turn four, and that opened the race up for everybody else, and that was just an uncharacteristic moment. It had to be a problem with the car. I mean, the guy doesn't make mistakes. Um, But Al Saunders drove his way to the front, and he managed to drive away, pick up the win. And it was a nice surprise. Like I said, it it really kind of threw a wrench in it. That was the only time during the night that we had some kind of video issue. And, again, it wasn't the stream – it was a switching board issue, and we were basically stuck watching the camera on the backstretch for pretty much the whole late model race after everything got oh. interesting. But luckily, it went pretty boring from there. So I feel bad for Al Saunders because he tried to get his Victory Lane interview and stuff, and all we got was audio. So it was like listening to the radio. They got it fixed, and we were able to watch the next race. So after that, I believe came up the... Uh, Hurry up and get to the street stocks. SK Light Race. <laughs> and this is definitely my favorite car in the whole field is uh, Brian Sullivan's car, that number 11. Anybody who was from Thompson Speedway remembers Brian Sullivan from as a driver from the SK, not SK, uh, Thompson Modifieds, where he, wouldn't that 51 car, would absolutely own everybody. Uh, I know he does a lot of crew work, and he does a lot of work with other people uh, as a crew member, spotter, etc., um, but yeah, he's coming to his own with this SK light deal and, uh, he's been strong ever since he stepped in one and it's been really nice to see the progression happening. Anyway, Jesse wants me to move on to the street stock race and they had the 30 lap MSD mid state development. Um, I got to get that right. Cause it's, there's two different brands, but yeah, the mid state development 30, at, um, street stock race. And that one was kind of weird to me. I, I expected a lot more out of the newcomers to the track, like the Thompson and Waterford guys. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really seem to happen. It's almost like they were kind of there and they were kind of up front, but they just didn't really execute like I'd expected them to. I don't know if that was an experience on their part or they tried some setup stuff. It just didn't work. Dad, please, you're embarrassing us. <laughs> All right, boy. Like I said, the Waterford guys just kind of, I don't know if it was a really hot racetrack or something that they just weren't ready for. I know uh, a lot of uh, setup work goes into feel, and they don't have a lot of laps at this track. I think the most amount of laps they have is just is Larry, and he had like one race more than these guys back in 04 or something. <laughs> that was hit. This um, is only their second race. Yeah, we'll call it the second race. I mean, so they did pretty admirably considering... But um, there were they were Moose down. Moose lost a, the power steering pump. Yeah, Moose lost his power steering pump, and he looped it off in turn four, I think. He says the car got loose. I I talked to him earlier today. He said the car got loose. He went to turn it back, and the power steering wasn't there, so he just basically couldn't keep up with it. He got up in the marbles, and the weight of his waistline pulled him around. 
Uh, I thought it was left side weight, though. Yeah, that's usually what happened because he's fat. Poor Moose. Like me. <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Your words. Um, but, yeah. I fat. Mean, um, I'd see these guys running pretty well, and then I'd look up again, and they'd be getting rooted out of the way, and then they'd come back around. Like I said, it was all just kind of... It wasn't as exciting as the first race where they just ran to the front and, like, dominated, you know? Mmm, fattening. <laughs> but, hey, I think they're going to get it. This is all a learning process for them, but they're already showing their worth because they were all basically top five again, you know? So it, it, it is... The first race was a borderline shit show, so... It was anyway. We all know it. This was a lot cleaner. We're all just we're all just really happy that uh, Giggity is okay because that was, oh, that a, was a ridiculously uh, hard hit. That was pretty bad. Yeah, that was really bad. Front and rear clip. I'm glad the thing held up Ooh. as well as it did. I I remember I repaired the front frame on that yeah, car actually after yeah, that was terrible after uh, their their former driver ran that car and bent the frame. I took my 10-ton porta power to the front of that thing, straightened it back out for him, built the front hoop. So it held up pretty well. I'm happy about that. Um, it didn't. It seemed like it gave enough to not get him hurt, but that car is hurt. So, yeah, that's a tough break. First race there, get the thing junked. Um, I'm, I'm sure those guys will fix it. They'll be back. But um, I'm questioning how many of these guys will be at Waterford when it opens up as well. But anyway... Hopefully everybody. Yeah, I hope so. We got to get that go place everywhere. going everywhere. Race everywhere. Yeah, you, race as much as possible. Life is short. You, we're dying. You can't take your money with you. We're all dying. <laughs> so get in your fun while you can. Yeah, but anyway, we're talking about the MSD thirty. Megan Fuller got turned around real early, and she had to start from the back. And uh, she's really come along quite well. Um, Again, that's one of the two people that races at Stafford that raced at Thompson full-time as well. One of the two that we molded. <laughs> Collectively, we molded. Um, the other one being Zach Robinson. Wouldn't you know it, those two were one two at the end of the race. Um, Zach ended up winning. Uh, Megan Fuller was second. They ran it pretty well to the end. Uh, she was catching him, but I think Zach might have been saving it too. Who knows? You know, if you're out front, nobody's going to catch you. Why race hard, right? That's how I won my first race. <laughs> but um, after the race, uh, I just want to kind of put this out there in the ether. And I know I sound like I've been kind of, you know, crapping on Zach lately, but I do like the kid. I just want to bring this up. Um, he did a he did a fantastic job that race to get up front, and it's it, the car is really working well. But um, he said in an interview afterwards, he says, I believe it was to racedayct.com, he said, they took one away from me last week. I wasn't going to let them take it away from me this week. And I said, well, you know, there is a certain inherent amount of irony in that statement because you took a race win away from somebody else, and that's probably why they took that race win away from you. So don't act like the racetrack took it away from you when you could have just finished second. You took it away from somebody else. So don't forget that. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, I just you know I just want to bring people back down to earth to re to reality. You know it, I feel like it's a uh, necessary thing to do. And uh, like I said, I just 
if if I was in the situation where I was coming up in racing, I would want people with experience to tell me what I'm doing right or wrong. And it's like, look, you got to be humble, kid. Just chill out a little bit. You know, just that's all. That's all. Oh, she got hit by a car. She's dead. <laughs> no, like I said, I think he'll it'll come around. But um, anyway, so the SK race finished out the night, and that got pretty interesting. I think it was between. Well, towards the end, at least. It was between Todd Owen, uh, Mike Christopher Jr., and Keith Rocco. And Owen got to the front first. And usually you'd think, okay, well, if you get to the front first, you pretty much can win the thing. But not in this case, especially not in, a, not in the SKs, especially not at Stafford. Uh, it might work that way at Thompson because it's very difficult to pass there. But apparently Stafford's not as much. But um, Todd did his damnedest to hold on to the lead. Is that the nice way to put it? I know a lot of other people would be like, he's blocking, but it's like, well, I mean, he is, you know, he is blocking, but if you were in the lead, would you just let somebody go? Blocking is when you take up two lanes. Defending the lead is when you only take up one lane. So when he goes from the top to the bottom, is that two lanes? Yes. Okay. Then that's blocking. If you guys, if you take him all the way to the grass, is it blocking? Well, I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying is that I'm just asking for clarification. Hell sake. yeah. Okay. So if you put him in the grass, yeah. I don't think he did. I'm just saying. I'm putting it no. out there. I'm not I'm just saying it for clarification's no, sake. No. I'm just saying in general. No. But so Keith, I believe he just kind of towards the end of the race had enough and he just says, "You know what? I'm not being nice anymore." He did it for a few laps and he says, "Okay, that's enough." Goes into turn 1 on his bumper and just shoves him up the racetrack, drives on by. Again, if you're going to do that, um be faster than the guy. <laughs> He did it too. Make sure he can't do it back to you. You know, um, I don't think it was a really terrible thing to do. Again, if you're if a guy's weaving, changing lanes in front of you to kill your runs, then okay, we'll just poke him. You know, it's because if you're racing for the win and you're not going to wreck somebody, I mean, it's short well, track. Just racing. remember, just remember to yeah, just remember that if, if it ever comes back on you, don't bitch. That's all. That's yeah. That's pretty much the code. And he's I never going to say bitchy and periody. But then I've thought better of it. He's never shied away from the code either. If he if he gets punted, he'll typically punt somebody back. You know, later on down the road, etc. You know, vice versa. It, it's it just happens. You know, that's just part of racing, and he knows it. He's been around it a long time. So uh, they also ran on Saturday. I might as well stick with Stafford on this one. And they ran the Open 80 race. They ran another street stock feature and another SK Light feature as the undercard. Question. Yes. Before you go into it. Oh, I've already gone into it. No, I'm well, kidding. Go ahead. Does that count as another race that you'd have to buy on StaffordSpeedway.tv? Or I is... believe so, yes. Because it's an Open 80 race. So do they have to pay to get in the race twice? Yes, I believe so. What about the the fans? Do they have to pay twice to go in those grandstands? Well, yeah, it's a different day. Okay. Yeah, they sold tickets for both days. Okay. And they are paying purses for both days, so they're going to need to cover that purse somehow. Okay. And I believe they're, like, the support divisions, like Street Stocks and SK Lights, they are not getting points on Saturdays, but they are getting um, two extra tires in their inventory as incentive plus a purse. And I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe they might actually get NASCAR points if they show up. 
They might not get track points, but I think they get NASCAR points. Don't quote me on that, though. We need to quote you on this. We need to bring something special to the audience that right, nobody just, else is giving. Okay, so that is they're <laughs> getting they're getting NASCAR points. That's how they're getting people to show up. They're getting toasters. They're getting refrigerators. They're getting golf clubs. Whatever you can Prizes. find on the Price is Right. <laughs> just do what I tell you. <laughs> but no, Stafford's given them a little incentive to come run both nights. And t- trust me, if I was right, uh, running... Uh, which will happen at some point this year. I, you know, I might pick a Saturday. Did you buy those tires for Moose? I did. Okay. I talked to a sponsor, uh, and he says, "Sure, I'll send you some money. Go get them." Before I could even offer you, Moose was going to offer you five hundred for those. For what? For the tires. Oh but, yeah. But before I even could get the message to you, you already bought them. <laughs> I called him at like 9 a.m. I said, will you take 500 for it? I got a sponsor so you, you, lined up to buy them. <laughs> if you had waited, if I if I could have got there quicker, you could have chewed them down another 100 bucks and maybe paid for your fuel for the weekend because you have to run their fuel. I know. That sucks. Which is, <laughs> sorry, but that's a dumbass rule. You have a crate engine. You should run pump gas. While we're on the topic, yes, Stafford, if we're running a 602 crate in any division... The minimum octane requirement is 92. 92 octane. And the chip rule. No, somebody's getting fucking paid is what it is. Yeah. Because from, and the chip from the rule fuel, it is. is 6,000. It's all about. It's, you don't need 98 octane at $11 a gallon to make these engines last. Here's what happens. You Here's, don't let me show you this. Let me give you something to the audience that's, that's actually going to be really worth a damn. And here's what it is, okay? People are going to get paid, all right? Because pump gas and 98 octane, the Sunoco 260, have the same specific gravity. Now, what specific gravity is, is how much of how much weight the fluid has or, or can obtain, okay? And that number, the 93 octane, has is the same as, 90, as 98 octane Sunoco 260. It's 0.762. So if you're mixing it, it's fine. You can mix pump gas in 260. The specific gravity is going to be the same. Now, if you're putting some light stuff in there, if you're playing around with the fuel, the specific gravity at 60 degrees temperature is going to be a lot less because the higher the octane racing fuel, the, the lighter the specific gravity is. So do you catch my drift on why it's a I know exactly. Role? I know exactly who you got that from, and I absolutely will not dime him out here. But it's nice to have friends who know this stuff. <laughs> I actually, you could find the specific gravity. It's available. The specific gravity now, is, is available. Is that Shell 93 from, or is that Sunoco 93? Doesn't no, matter. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Okay. No. It could be Tropicana 93. My problem is is that I think that they're... fucking orange juice. doesn't matter. Like, it's 93 octane. It's got 0. 0.762. Like I said, it's it, re- running racing fuel in a crate motor is honestly stupid. It is because the whole reason GM made them low compression and low revving is so you wouldn't have to race with racing fuel, and it wouldn't detonate, and it wouldn't cause problems. That's the reason why they built them that way. And to run straight racing fuel in it, you're literally throwing away about $80 a night. The only reason why I do that and run straight racing fuel in my car Because you run an open motor. Yes, because I'm not a communist. Also, also the, uh, the racing fuel doesn't gum up my carburetor, and I won't have to clean it for hours and hours and hours on end and try well, to get it out of every little nook and crack and crevice because it's got stupid corn in it. <laughs> 
Not necessarily true. If it sits around for a while, it if does. If it sits around for like two years. If it sits around for more than three months. No, I've had my carburetor sit, you know, for months at a time, and it's never gummed up. That's probably because I'm running half, well, probably because I'm running racing fuel mix with it, so it takes it out. But I also empty my carburetors out because that's just oh, what shoot. you want to do. But anyway. Ooh, look. What do you got? Gummy bears. <laughs> Should have been taking these before the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should probably have a glass of water with that. It tends to dry me out. <laughs> anyway, we were talking about Stafford. They probably don't listen and they probably don't care because they're making money on gas. But um, so Marcello Refrano came out of absolutely freaking nowhere. Literally nowhere. It was the Concy. He qualified out of the Concy and he won the Stafford Open 80 Tour Type Modified Race. Whoa, 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 stop right there. Yeah, boy came out the Concy and won the Stafford Open 80. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of wish I'd tuned in just so I could see exactly how he did it. I wonder if they had pit strategy. I don't um, know. Maybe he was just really strong. Since nobody's listening, I'm going to start making bootlegs of this shit. $10 a DVD, Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> Blu-ray? I'm not kidding. Ooh. Dang. Yeah. $10. Shit don't stink, mouseketeer-looking motherfuckers. That's right. <laughs> No, anyway, I didn't watch the race, but I did. I did see headlines. Um, but yeah, good for him, man. Uh, come out of the dare stocks, which are now the street stocks. Uh, come up and race SK lights. I know the boy works on his own stuff. Like his dad might have money, he might be tied up with Rocco, but he says, "Look, you ain't racing unless you're working on that car." And that's a good way to put it. There's a you're you're gonna be a good racer if you know how to work on a car. So yeah, he won. Uh JP, John Pulio won the SK Light race. That's his second race of the year that he's won out of three races. Uh they got that new car working real well. I believe that's actually a former uh Rocco or Raffrano car. Uh don't quote me on that. I guess that's my favorite line. But <laughs> Zach Robinson went two for two on the weekend and he picked up the Street stock win on Saturday night as well. I guess they got a pretty decent car count. A lot of guys just kind of left their cars at the track. But Zach had a second car, so he used the second car for the other feature. I believe that's the old Waterman car, the old G car. I believe that might be the car that Jesse hooked on the backstretch. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. It's true. Uh Anyway, so. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Motherfucker do that shit to me. He better paralyze my ass because I kill a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's Jesse in the race seat. That's a direct quote from him. So, all right. So we had, I watched. Does he look like a bitch? No, no. Not after that one. Does he look I, like a bitch? All right. No, you definitely Does don't. he look like a bitch? No, definitely not. Trust me, I remember watching that wreck going over the front end of someone else's race car and thinking I was going to flip over. But I don't want that. And you don't want that. No, I didn't. (laughs) So let's move off of that one. Uh, I wanted to talk about, just very briefly, about the IndyCar races. I believe they did a doubleheader at uh, Iowa. And uh, Simon Paginode won the first one, or, yeah, won the first one. Joseph Newgarden won the second one. But they finally had an incident. Well, I wouldn't say finally because it's only been a couple races. But they had an incident that apparently tested out the new windscreen. 
uh, when they had, uh, who was it here? I can't remember the names. I think it was Herta and VK who got into a wreck on the front stretch. I believe it was an aborted start or restart. And they got together, and uh, one flew over the other one. I can't remember which one. Sorry, I'm sorry about the lack of details, but they tested out the new windscreen, and there were a lot of pundits saying, well, it definitely saved X person's life there. And I'm like, well, it may very well have. I didn't see any pictures of the aftermath or anything, but, I mean, kudos to these guys. I mean, if you can make racing safer in any way, go ahead and do it. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what I like more, if I like that windscreen or if I like the Halo on AF1 cars more, but whatever whatever they're happy with, I don't care. So Kyle Busch got disqualified from the Xfinity Series win on Saturday due to left Suck rear... my white ass! Due to left rear frame height being too low. They did not appeal it as of today, which was the last day to uh, appeal it, so they didn't bother. Austin Sindrick was awarded the victory at Texas. That's three um, in a row. Yeah, that was three in a row for him. That's big on that team. Um, the big story from that wasn't really the DQ. It was more Noah Gregson and how much of a wrecking ball he's become lately. Yeah. Um, he Five laps into the race, you know, five laps, the guy goes out and basically he drives. It, there's no way to put it, but he drove straight into Riley Herbst going out of turn four. You're naughty. Like, and then the guy... And then the guy basically he comes out over the radio. I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about Noah Gregson. Comes out over the radio and he says, "Oh, I never touched him." And then they show the replay and they show the front end of his car, you know, come, da- come down and <laughs> bumping into the guy. He just flat drove through the kid and just knocked him out of the way. It's like, what are you doing, man? Well, you know what's funny is that his car owner uh, was not very happy about that. Junior. I yeah, wouldn't, I wouldn't be either. Did you hear? What he said, "I oh, gotta put, I, I gotta I put that him. on Noah." He goes, "I gotta put that on Noah," and his his car owner is not happy. He's gonna be, you know, spending a lot more money on race. I believe Noah. He, the guy's just a. He, I don't know why, but he's just been an absolute wrecking ball lately. He he doesn't subscribe to my idea of you might not go there to make friends, but you shouldn't go there to make enemies either. You know, because it's starting to show. It, uh, and whatever I'm saying is starting to ring true. He's starting to make enemies, and these guys are starting to figure out that they can wreck him and basically not care because he's starting to dehumanize himself because of his antics on the racetrack and the fact that he races without any regard for anyone else's car, and it's really sad to watch. I mean, Didn't he get the air taken off a spoiler? Yeah, I believe Austin Sindrick drove up behind him and wiped the air off his spoiler coming off a two, and basically the nine just pounded the wall down. And Sindrick came over the radio. He says, "Oh, I, well, I didn't really mean to do that, but oh well." Yeah, I, he said something <laughs> to the lines of, "You know, I can't, I can't give him a break on that one." Sorry. Yeah, I mean, if you like, I said, you live by the sword and you die by the sword in racing. And if you race without respect, even if you don't race somebody else, like. Maybe he's raced Austin Cindric with, with some respect. But if you race all the other people without it, you get a reputation. And like I said, these guys just are not going to have you held in the same regard over time and say, well, you know, maybe it'll be me next and he'll race you a little harder. Or maybe you will end up in the wall. And that's uh, on you. So, I mean, I don't know if I can really say much more than that. We'll see how it pans out for the rest of the year. 
But Noah Gregson needs to watch his ass. Like How about Quinn Huff? We'll get to that one. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that one. Okay. Um, I kind of watched the truck race. Um, didn't really notice anything really interesting with it. I mean, did, I didn't see did, it. Did anybody else watch it? I mean, I Kyle Busch won it and he got to keep it, and that was his first win this year in anything, basically. You done? Which is surprising. Well, that's pretty much it for that race. I mean, <laughs> Kyle Busch raced in it. He won it and didn't get thrown out. Um, I didn't see anything controversial. So there's a truck race checked off. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the elephant in the room here. Um, Austin Dillon and RCR. Tyler Reddick finished second. But Austin Dillon won the cup race Sunday at Texas, and he had to survive three late-race restarts to do it. And, man, they just, you know, I know a lot of people online are saying, hey, this kid's a silver spoon. Hey, this kid only got to where he is because of this. Well, he that's what Harvard to, called him too. Yeah, I mean so everybody, everybody online like calls. Yeah, he. I mean, well, a lot the f- of these guys. Even Brendan Gaughan says, "Yeah, I'm a silver spoon. My family owned a casino. I know that. I embrace it. I don't care. I'm a lucky sperm." He says, "That's that's Brendan Gaughan's favorite term." Well, how He's did like, Kevin Harvard get into into Cub? Uh, he was a Southwest spoon. series, and then uh, well, he was Kane mostly West a silver and, spoon, probably too. I mean, it takes money. They're to all these silver series. spoons. Every know. single one of them are a silver spoon. It takes a hell of a lot of money to do it. Yeah. Every one of them are silver spoons. I mean, Carl Edwards was pretty low down the list, but he worked his ass off for it. Yeah, so. he's one of the few. One of the few guys. I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, but Every single one of them. You got to think of it this way as well. I mean, yeah, Austin Dillon came up in everything good. But he also... You got. You still got to perform in order to to be there. But think of it this way: a lot of people have had good equipment and done nothing with it. Austin Dillon won every step of the way on his way up. He won in K N, won Truck Series and a title, won an Xfinity Series and a title, won in Cup Series. He won the Coke Six Hundred. I know it was on fuel mileage, but you still got to be there at the end to win, and it doesn't matter. You still have to be there to win. Um, Again, you, Daytona 500. You won the Daytona 500. Yeah, you he hooked Derek Almarola. I mean, it but is. Yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah. it's plate racing and it sucks. Yeah. But again, there's been plenty of instances of people who have raced in really good equipment and done nothing. I mean, look at a lot of the guys in the last five years who've come through KBM equipment in the truck series and done bubkiss, and Kyle goes down and says, okay, you idiots, I'm going to show you how these trucks actually perform, and he goes out and runs away with races and says, and hands him back the keys and says, there's nothing wrong with this truck. You know? What about, uh, you remember <laughs> Buckshot Jones? Yeah, he... Holy he, nothing. Yeah, he flopped out. The, the world, the racing world is full of flops. You know, people who have infinite promise and don't deliver. Yeah, so if you can win a few equipment. races, you've done something. I mean, yeah, like I said, you look at Austin Dillon, he's won all the way up, and he's still technically winning. I mean, not as often. Yeah, I don't think it's fair that he alone gets gets the silver, probably because it's that yeah. car with that number, I think, has more to do with it than anything. Yeah, if we could just remove the idea of Dale Earnhardt from that car completely. Yeah, because no can one's... We just, uh, can we admit to the fact that that number was Richard Childress's number first, and then it was like Ricky Rudd's number, and then it became Dale Earnhardt's number? Pop quiz, who won the first ever race for Dale, for uh, Richard Childress? Ricky Rudd. Yeah, Ricky Rudd did. Ricky Rudd won the first ever I was going to say Ricky Rudd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at Riverside. 
Number yeah. three. 83? Boom. Yeah, 83. 83, yeah, that's right. Boom. My birth year. So they can just knock that shit off, okay? There's been plenty of other drivers that have driven to 43 ever since Petty got got out of I mean, it. Bobby Hamilton <laughs> ran that damn number. John Andretti ran that number. And won. Yeah, and he won in it. So did Bobby Hamilton, yep. They both won it. Yep, there's... Drivers have come and go in that number. There's been plenty of other drivers other than David Pierce to grace the number 21. A lot of good Get drivers. over it. Yeah. Get I mean, over it. They're not retiring numbers, nor should you. No, it's the car's sh- number, not the driver's number. If you have memorabilia with a number three on it that says that has a big Dale Earnhardt signature on it with a guy with a pair of gargoyles and a mustache and a, and a good wrench cap on it, then, yeah, you got Dale Earnhardt equipment. But if you got some new stuff today, it's Austin Dillon stuff. You know what I mean? Get over it. <laughs> Whatever. So anyway, let's move on to the elephant in the room. The wreck. You must excuse me. The wreck coming to pit road by the double zero of Quinn Huff. And this kid's going to face a lot of backlash, and he has been all year and pretty much any single time he's ever sat into a race car. If you listen to Door Bumper Clear, he never is off of their show <laughs> from their anger. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words at how ridiculous the move he made was to Pit Road. Well, He's blamed at least three different things on it and tried to skirt responsibility for all of what happened. But at the end of the day, I mean, he came up with an excuse like, Oh, my spot mirror fell off on the left side. I couldn't see. Uh, my spotter didn't say anything. Oh, my crew chief demanded that I come down pit road immediately. I'm like, you're the one holding the steering wheel, dude. Does did he have? Do we have any kind of radio transmission to confirm this? No. I want to hear. I want to hear the audio. Is what I I'm sure hear. the audio exists. I am yeah. sure. I'm certain of it. And you know what? He could be right that his crew chief called him down pit road. But, dude, how little racing sense do you have to pull onto pit road number one without warning people number two without starting in turn three number three with not even being on the bottom line he's in the middle of the racetrack he if he'd even looked in his mirror he might have seen somebody if he had a spotter they'd probably be telling him that there's cars coming but who the hell knows with that instant you know um he probably didn't even know he was going to come to pit road so that's probably why he didn't say anything I mean, dude, how little sense do you have to have to pull down a race, an active racetrack at like three quarters of the speed, way below speed, across traffic on an active racetrack? Like, if I had a problem on a short track, the first thing I'm doing is, number one, getting it out of the way, and then number two, I'm looking around me constantly to make sure there's nobody coming before I get down. And I will not move unless it's absolutely certain that it's clear that I can pull down. This guy, I I don't know what his history is, but I've been told that I think he won maybe one or two super late model races and then ran a couple times in K&N and ARCA and then basically just leapfrogged the cup based on whatever they could get him into. And it's like, dude, I don't think you've got any racing sense, like, at all. Like, you've got no awareness. you got no idea what your surroundings are. I, I, I can't be the only person who thinks this way. I am an asshole! I mean, you saw it. What, what did you think? Bro, I, 
<laughs> Bro. <laughs> you got, I'm you're at lost. a loss for words, too. <laughs> you can't do that. What are you thinking? You, you, you can't pull three lanes in front of a whole bunch of cars coming your way. You know they're there. You have to know they're coming. You have to know that they're coming. The spires have got to be giving you information saying, hey, you've got, you've got cars coming up at you for you know, a few clicks now. Yeah, cars behind um, you, they're coming fast. I know spotting for a lap car is really difficult, but, man, come on. you got to have some damn sense. You know, there's one person who has a lot of racing experience who never, ever gets into trouble being a lapped car. You know who that is? B.J. McLeod. Yeah. The guy was a monster in the Southern, you know, super late model series and stuff like that. The guy knows what he's doing on the racetrack. He knows he's not in the best equipment, but he's having a damn good time doing it. And he knows that he's going to be a little slow and he's got to be aware of his surroundings. Anytime a faster car comes near him, he's the hell out of the way. Nobody ever complains about BJ McLeod. Ever. Or Landon Castle. Or Landon Castle. You know, Jeff Gluck threw some serious shade on Twitter when he said Landon Castle had the lowest crash rate of any driver racing full-time in the Cup Series last year. And he was in that double zero car before they threw him out for Quinn Huff. So what does that I'm tell you? I'm sorry. I'm just playing. No, I'm not playing. He does have the lowest crash rate. Landon Castle is a much better driver than anybody gives credit for. And I will. I always sing his praises on this show. But there's a reason why Jimmy Johnson won so much through the mid to, mid to late 2000s. And it's because Landon Castle was his test driver. When Chad Knauss would pick up the phone and call Landon Castle, say, I need you somewhere, he was there testing the 48 at any racetrack, and they were doing whatever Chad wanted. And there's a reason why they kicked everyone's ass, and it's because he's a hell of a driver. That's why I've been trying to push the idea that Landon's going to be in the 48 next year, but that's probably not going to work out. So. What the fuck is that? Wow, we are really an hour into this thing, huh? Well, I wish I could be reporting on Seekonk, but I believe they just ran a Fast Friday event. Sorry to f- not report the winners, but they have their own podcast coming out, and I want to li- leave that to them. I'll probably report winners when they get the Saturday shows coming out, but if i got to do every single little race coming out, I mean, it's going to be really hard to do, especially with an out-of-state track when we're focused on Connecticut stuff. We're calling it a niche market. It is a niche market at this point. I mean, I tried to do more Fast of Fast Fridays is a niche market. It's a very niche market. Um I still like racers, and I will any you know anything outside of the Connecticut region, even past Seekonk, like towards Maine or New Hampshire. If there's some kind of major news story, I'll cover it. If there's some kind of major topic to discuss from that area, I'll discuss it as it pertains to short track racing. But when it comes to like doing full race rundowns every week, I'm not probably going to do it. I'm probably going to stick local when it comes to that stuff. I might venture out once in a while and do some stuff, but again, they're coming out with their own thing, so I'll, I'll leave that to yeah, them. Yeah, get your own podcast and shut the, the fuck up. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're got their own coming out pretty soon. Uh, so anyway, any parting thoughts? Any rants? Other than that, Carl uh, Larson still wins a lot. Good gravy, does he ever? His average finish, I think, in twenty four races is one point nine. Yeah, he's won <laughs> the last won. few of them in a row. I watched him win last night. Or 24 is the amount of wins he has, isn't it? Yeah. 
He's won like 24 out of 30 or something like that, 32 or something like that. Yeah, well. Some you, ridiculous number of races. Could, yeah, number one, Whew. number one, he's got two giant, he's squeezing into a into a sprint car with two giant set of balls. They have to cut his seat out for him. Yeah, number two. They get one. a hang. Number two, <laughs> it has to be the black magic. It has to be all the, sh- the shock technology you learned in Cup. It has to be. It yeah, he's, there's, there's so there's much tech so that much, he probably picked up on. There's so much you can do with shocks to play around that I that I don't even know anything about it. That's it's like astrophysics to me. Okay, you know it's funny. I, I know gravity goes up and down, <laughs> but that's about it. Other than that, I know it's just this fucking black magic out there. That's what shock technology is to me, and it makes the world go around. Oh my god, it does, and it makes the world go around. I'm just a simple street stock driver, so we really know nothing about shocks because we're mandated to to run stuff that's literally stock, yeah. and we can't touch them. Like we can't do anything with our shocks. We're just talking about so the total is... attitude and the amount of traction that that shocks play into it. I think that's where he gets it all. Is shocks. Oh my god, if that's one thing where if I actually improve my racing career at all in any way. I'll figure out how to do shocks. I mean, I'm learning how to rebuild transmissions and rear ends. And I mean, I could build pretty much anything and service anything at this point on my own. Shocks, that shit's witchcraft to me, man. I'm not even going to touch that because that's, that's something I've never touched and I've never had the reason to touch with our racing careers at any point whatsoever. So that yeah. shit's just witchcraft. Yeah, I think that's why that's a that's a big speed secret. That's not really a secret because everybody else could see what's going on. You know, I can't be. I'm not the only guy who can look at a race car and go, "Okay, this is why he's going fast." Plenty of other guys know how to do it too. You just don't know how to get there. Oh yeah, shocks are just ridiculous. You know, Aaron Reitzel's close as far as the, all these all stars and everything out west and the and the sprint cars. But as far as a competitor to Kyle Larson, but but uh, uh, yeah, he's in a class in his own. Yeah, that guy's ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Until then, I'm just gonna you know. Pay the pay the motor man a little bit extra, put some extra into my motor, and then seal it up real nice with the seals. <laughs> you better That's hope I'm it gonna act- go fast. Like I said, you better hope it works because it's a lot of places tech, but not the places we usually race. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, if you don't pull the seals, you ain't teching. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Anyway. You can find this podcast on every major podcast platform. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, Instagram at podcast. I actually post some pretty cool stuff on the Instagram account if nobody follows that. you got to check it out. Um, all my show announcements are on the Instagram account are much I don't different. Do Instagram. You should. It's fun. It's it's a lot better format. I have an account. So- I just don't. It's a lot better social media format than pretty much anything else. Because... You can find anything on interest your interests in Instagram and actually enjoy it. It's one of the few enjoyable social media platforms out there. Um, but I do post some really cool pictures. Once I don't like in a while. going outside my house. It's hot out and I'm fat. That's what YouTube's for. Uh, we don't have a YouTube page. Which why would you want to see us talk when you can hear us talk? I mean that's kind of weird. Uh, anyway, you can find if you you know if you need some links or some help finding the the show, uh, we do post links to the anchor. Uh, which is our hosting platform on our Facebook page. Again, Making Laps Podcast. Uh, and if you need other help, you can go to www.gleasonbrosracing.com. We posted up about five different uh, platform links there to find your favorite platform. You can click on that and go to that on your smartphone or your computer or whatever. You can find me at uh, Instagram and Twitter at Brent Gleason01. It is a man.
sind Seems really dramatic. Mein Herz brennt. I'm gonna have to get my wife who speaks German to uh, translate this one for me. But until next time, keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence. Thank you all for listening. 